fade back in on Harborvale, a coastal town striving to rebuild. Its residents tread warily on the unsteady ground that has eroded beneath their feet. Despite the community's tenuous air of relief and recovery, there are still so many secrets to unveil. Secrets of an ancestral curse and the struggle to contain it. Secrets of vengeance biding their time. Secrets of alluring control washed onto the shore. Secrets of the beast within and the desire to release it. And as we tear back the veil of these silent secrets, we shall uncover the truth of what it requires to live beside the bay. Hello, and welcome to These Silent Secrets. My name is Zach, and I'll be your MC. Where last we left off, the soup group had just found out the true identity of Sophia. Jason went and had a conversation with her. Avery apologized to Gia. Kanan continued to be an incredible caretaker. And Isla had a conversation with Grimm during her radio show that left her feeling a little afraid of the humans around her. Today's episode will be the first monologues of a monster for this season. A little respite to glance into the minds of the characters that we know and we love, getting a little insight into how they're feeling about the things that are happening around them. But before we dive into the episode, a couple of thank yous to get into. The Ghost Light Media for everything you do, for hosting us, making sure we got a place to be, the Patreons rocking, all that good shit. We appreciate you. To Nicole Tuttle-Rob for all her work in doing our social media, making a lot of our merch, being Avery, scoring the episodes. She does so much shit. It's incredible. We love her very much. Thank you. To my cast for always being great. You guys are also always good shit. So you know what? I said shit three times in this opening. I need to move on. Be it that Christmas upon the day of this release was yesterday. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Um, I hope you have a safe new year in the coming week. And uh, keep it classy, but not too classy. And be sure to stick around to the end of the episode for a promo for a different show we think you guys will really like. But with all of that out of the way, all that is left is the episode. So let us dive in to this episode of These Silent Secrets Beside the Bay. Harborvale. What a place. A town home to many, and for each resident, a myriad of secrets. Some harmless, but some are quite deadly. It is those secrets that continually haunt our soup group, and one such secret has just revealed itself, with more undoubtedly soon to follow. And as the soup group reels from this revelation, we have this moment to take a look at how they are dealing with it all. We first take off into the warm morning air, flying over house, street, and beach, lowering down, down until we submerge beneath the waves themselves. We see Isla as she is swimming quickly back towards home. And while she swims, she hearkens back to the events of the prior evening. 
I pushed through the radio station's front door and into the harbor veil mist and cold, and I couldn't help but flinch at the water hitting my face. Head down, I took the long way to Edgar Allan Joe, trudging alleys and service roads to avoid the people out and about. Well, they're not walking, but using those death machines, driving cars, pumping toxic fumes into the air for an unnecessary grocery trip. <sighs> the smell of coffee eased my nerves a bit as I opened the door to Edgar Allan Joe, but inside, even more people waited for their cups of coffee, or sat at the wooden tables chatting over their mugs, or feverishly typing on laptops. My skin crawled with goosebumps as I waited behind an older woman talking on her cell. Yeah, yeah, John, I don't care about your things. Get out of my house and take the rest of your shit to the landfill. I decided to focus on the knotted wood at the front counter, finding shapes of things that ease me. A sea turtle with an ornate shell. A dolphin arching over the waves in the green. Oh, an eel slithering through the planks. Hey, uh, Isla. A voice pulled me from the starfish I just found. This is your, what, third time in here? Today? What can I get you? Uh, a smoothie, or something. I wiped my sweat from my hands onto my jeans and stepped to the counter to order. Oliver, a nice enough guy, waited with a cup and marker in his hand, smiling. But in his eyes I saw a twinge of judgment. No, a mocha please, I ordered. He threw his head back and let out a short laugh. Are you sure? All that caffeine in your tiny body. Uh, I'm surprised you're not bouncing off the walls. He doesn't write my order on the cup, waiting for me to make a different choice. I said, I forced, even though my hand shook, I want a mocha. Okay, okay, one mocha. Large. With my large mocha, I found the back room of the coffee shop, the computer cafe. Empty, I decided to log on to a machine and do anything to take my mind off these humans. But my fingers had remembered what Grimm had said, and before I knew it, Images of man-made environmental disasters flash on the screen. The BP oil spill. Bits of information from my report flash back to me, but I dive deeper into the spill, just now being contained and removed. I end up on a forum. Well, I think that's what Mr. Solovsky had called it. People commented, saying the spill was a cover-up and politicking scheme from both sides. The spill was intentional to boost oil prices and profits. It was the wrath of God. I scroll down the forum and stop. One theory sticks out to me. Uh, posted by Tin Hat 3982, they write, BP's drilling activity awoke something old, something ancient long buried under more than three miles of seawater, sandstone, and rock. Aliens? But no, not aliens. I know what's under the water. I remember the pier. 
I remember the look on the cultists' face when they knew they were close to awakening their god. I remember seeing Toktar's face through the waves. If Toktar was brought here by his followers, then what could the oil spill disturb and bring? Would it come to Harbervale? With a quick click of the computer mouse, I'm back, but I find myself flooded with images of the ocean dying. Beached whales, tankers on fire releasing thick black sludge into the water, red tide, plastic bags floating around a coral reef. I was torturing myself by seeing these things. It was punishment for trusting humans, for coming back here over the summer. I tried to swallow my coffee, but my throat was closed and my stomach gurgled. My skin was so hot, it felt like it was melting away as each of my scales cut through the flesh. How could I have come back to these people who have no idea what they're doing to us? I was so naive when I thought the only problem was Cipriano, and everything would be fine once he was gone. But last year, there was a red tide here in Harborvale. One person can't make that happen. One person can't make that happen. It's years and years of mistreatment. My mind flashes to my siren community, to my mom, to my dad, to all those who came before me, to all those they killed. My gills threaten to push through my neck. If I stay here another minute, they'll find out what I am, and they'll want to kill me. I knew the only place I would get a breath would be with Julian, with my family. The coffee shop was a blur as I ran through the front door, down the street and to the beach. As I dove into the water, it was only then that I noticed I left my coffee behind. Our vision takes off vertically, the sun's rays permeating the water growing brighter and brighter as we breach the waves up into the sky. We head towards the home of the Chens, but we don't make it too far inside, because standing in the kitchen, at the stove, watching as French toast cooks, we see Canaan. Their tension split between the batch of toast cooking and their journal, their face severe. Journal entry... Whatever day it is, who even cares? I don't understand what's going on with me. I don't know why I feel this way. And I don't know how to fix it. Ever since the woods, those fucking woods, things have been off. Ever since Gael picked that fight and I just, just couldn't do anything. It's been getting worse. The wolf is there, but absent at the same time. Like, we're on opposite sides of the glass staring at each other. There was a period there where we were one, and it was great. I thought I was finally figuring out who I was and my place on the food chain. But now, there's this murkiness. Like when you look into a dirty lake and you know something is lurking below, 
but you can't quite see it. Only a vague shape and an idea of what you think you are supposed to see. But it isn't clear. I wouldn't be surprised if I had a mild concussion as well, and that could be adding to the muddiness in my head. When things were weird before, I could make sense of it, at least a little bit. But now, I just don't understand what's happening. And it's not just those on the outside. It's the group as well. Everyone seems off. Weird things are happening to Jason, and he's getting framed for things he didn't do, and people are getting mad at him. Avery is super frantic, and yes, I know, that's like saying water is wet and fire is hot, but more so. And Isla, I, I feel really bad because she seems very upset with me, and I don't know why. I thought we had landed into a healthy friendship, and if I hurt her or made her mad or something, I just want to fix it. But I don't even know what happened. It just all feels off. We were coming together and formed this tight-knit group, and now it's unraveling. I also just can't get out of my head. The state withholding thing is bothering me too. Just last year, my ex tried to kill me, and then Avery killed her. Which, holy shit, I haven't even really unpacked that, and I am having such a hard time with it. But I can't let Avery know that. I know she already feels bad, and I don't want her to feel worse. She was just... Frankly, she was doing what I would do in the scenario. But... Can I even call Alexandria my ex? Were we ever really dating? And now Holden seems actually into me. And man, he seems genuinely nice and fun and kind and actually interested in me. But Alexandria seemed nice. Alexandria seemed kind and interested in me. It's the predator you don't see that's the most dangerous. And my senses are so off, I can't see shit. I just want to cry, but it's hard to see things for what they really are through tears. My vision is distorted enough, and I can't afford for things to get more out of focus. I spent so many years repressing the wolf and now it won't come out even if I wanted it to. So, I don't have to worry about that anymore. So now I just need to do the same to these feelings. Have you ever been hurting so bad, but you know if you let it out, it'll just make things worse? The daytime is bringing nothing but misery. Let's see what the night has to offer. The moon won't shine on the wolf anymore, but it can at least shine on Canaan. And if that doesn't help, really, I don't know what will. 
Kanan's journal can be seen in the dim lamplight. Droplets of water covering the page, the script written in a shaky hand. Kanan closes the journal, grabs a jacket, and walks downstairs. Their father happily greets him in the kitchen, but his face drops when he looks upon his youngest child. Kanan's eyes are red, and the look they give pierces Elias' heart. Kanan's father looks at him, gives a knowing nod, and slowly slides open the back door. Kanan walks off into the night, the sounds of somber howls pushing on their back, driving them deeper into the woods. We move quickly out of the house and across town to the local coffee shop. As our focus pans across the large window in the front, we see Avery sitting alone and reading, a cup of coffee before her. She reads the passages, her focus set on, just for the moment, escaping into the words on the page, leaving the fear and stress behind. You want to hear something funny? For the last year, every time that I felt overwhelmed or out of my depth or scared, I would say the words, rye bread. Like all good inside jokes, it spawned from a moment of true and utter despair, wherein one friend was wildly uncomfortable and the other was watching their breakdown in real time. It's been since used as a bit of a, a get out of jail free card or just a way to make it clear that the person saying the phrase has reached their capacity for whatever situation they're in and that they need to be removed from it. It's silly to think that a monster who can shift into a raven and rip someone's guilt and fears from their very minds would ever feel scared. What does she have to fear anyway? She's powerful, she's intuitive, she can fly. But, uh, I felt it. I mean, I, I've always been wary of the raven. It's how I was raised. You know, to think of this power as a burden and not a gift, which is the very sentiment that I spent my formative years trying to prove wrong. And I did. Last year, I, I mean, I, I never would have survived if it weren't for this magic inside of me. I would have died. No, no, that already happened. I would have stayed dead. Jason might have brought me back, but the raven kept me here. The raven kept me alive. And maybe that's why it started lashing out all on its own. And when I died, I felt like I was Avery Carlisle. And the raven was something that I could just slide into when I needed it. Like a cardigan or a pair of shoes. <laughs> it was useful, utilitarian, hell, my favorite damn accessory to wear most times, but still just that. An accessory. When I came back, something shifted. The raven isn't something that I can just take off anymore. 
It's as much a part of me as my heart is, my lungs. It is essential to the function of my life. And now it's making moves on its own. It's choosing when to act. It's a contradiction, isn't it? To wield a power that should make me feel fearless. To possess the ability to soar above the world and pluck at the very fabric of people's fears and guilts and yet to feel the weight of it all crushing me. It's ironic. I should feel invincible. A creature beyond the grip of fear or uncertainty and yet here I am afraid of myself. Afraid of the raven. And now it feels different, stronger, more restless. What if it's not satisfied anymore? Maybe it's no longer content stealing the fears and guilts of others anymore. What if it's feeding off my own apprehensions, amplifying them? It's overwhelming. To think that the very force that saved me is now intertwined with my fears and my doubts. What if I lose control? What if, what if it becomes a force beyond my command? What if the raven, my savior, turns into something that I can't rein in? The thought about my own potential for destruction is suffocating. I don't know what I would do if the raven ever wanted to hurt the people I care about. I mean, what happens when my abilities spiral beyond my control? Could I stop it? Could I spare the people I love? I mean, could I even survive without it? And would I want to? If I had to, could I stand against the Sullivan Raven? And when? I don't know. Rye bread. We leave Avery to read and quickly return to the Chen's house. We move up and through the window to Jason's room, his eyes shooting open as the light of the morning sun finally beckons him from sleep. As the smell of French toast from downstairs reaches him, he moves about the room, getting ready for the day, taking a moment to reflect on yesterday's news. The main ideology behind my family's old job was supposed to be that if you hurt people, there'll be consequences. If you use supernatural gifts to harm the citizens of Harborvale, it comes back around on you. I guess that lesson did kinda Stick around in the end, after all. We were monster hunters. A logical step in an arms race against people's worst fears. A way to fight back and keep people safe. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But as it turns out, 
It's just like any powerful system. It gets corrupted. It's only as good as the people making decisions, and if all you do is follow orders, then you're just making sure the people at the top get what they want. I thought I was helping. I thought that she ran because of her guilt, not fear. Is, is, is that how everyone feels about us? That us showing up, no matter what, that it, it was a death sentence? We were... We were supposed to be monster hunters. But maybe we were just hunters who could kill monsters. And if you can kill a monster, imagine what you can do to a person. We move one more time. Out of the bedroom window into the docks, we come across the red-haired figure of Sophia Garrity, as we now know her name to be. As she watches a shipment of her parents' company be loaded and shipped off, she sits on the edge, her feet dangling above the water. I knew this wasn't going to be easy. But did I do this all wrong? Since that day, I have only known one thing. That I was going to make Jason Chen pay for what he did. When I brought the others into this, they were as, as angry, as determined as I was, but we had one ground rule. We would ruin him. Sure, get him in trouble with the school, with the law. We'd try to turn everyone who still cared for him against him. We'd take any hope for a good future for himself away, but we would not kill him. That wasn't who we were, even if, if that's who he was. And I was hoping... <laughs> That when he finally found out what we were doing, he'd be angry. That he'd scream, shout, threaten us. And I could look him in the eye, vindicated that we destroyed a terrible human being and that he deserved it. And that, it, it didn't happen. When it was out in the open, I looked in his eyes. And all I saw was regret. And not in a way that a murderer who's sentenced to life in prison regrets it because they're facing the consequences, but soul-shattering, gut-wrenching regret about what he'd done. And when he told me what really happened, for a moment I felt... <laughs> sorry for him. I mean, what the fuck's up with that? I don't know, I feel so torn. Because I know that I still hate him with every fiber of my being, but... For all we know, he could be a victim in this, too. <sighs> okay, get it together. We see the sunglasses-clad figure of Vive stand behind Sophia. She places a hand on her friend's shoulder. Hey, Holden thinks he found something. She says, giving the shoulder another squeeze before walking off. Sophia stands, wiping the back of her jeans off, 
and follows Vive inside. Thank you so much again for listening to this episode of These Silent Secrets. If you like what you heard and you want to support us, there's a bunch of easy ways to do that. First and foremost, you can scroll down wherever you're listening to us, rate, subscribe, like, whatever the options are, uh, go for it. It helps us a bunch, and we really, really appreciate it. Another super easy way is just tell a couple buds about it. You know, you get a couple buds, and then they get a couple buds, and you all go out spreading the word like you're Christmas carolers, and you're just singing our praises, and we'd really appreciate it. If you feel saucy, you want to up your support into the financial sector, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia, where you can donate to us monthly and get some cool rewards for yourself. Or you can check out our merch store at tpublic.com slash store slash ghostlight and get yourself some super awesome merch. You can find us all over online. We got our website at thesilentsecrets.com. We're on Blue Sky and TikTok at These Silent Secrets. We're on X at Silent Secret Pod. And you can also find us all individually. You can find Nicole at Nicole Voice, Marcus at Marcus RVO, Mariah at underscore Mariah Clausen, Freddie at Freddie underscore Pow Pow, and myself at That Guy Zach Rob. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. But until then, may your secrets stay hidden. And may you all have had a very happy holiday, friends. I love you very much. Goodbye. This has been a Ghostlight Media production. Howdy, y'all. We're Two Monsters Rolling Dice, an actual play tabletop roleplay podcast played in the cinematic Fate Core system with a new and original score and a cutting-edge sound design. Fully included. We're a team of real-life friends and nerds focused on collaborative storytelling, character-driven drama, and immersive original worlds. If you're looking for intrigue, drama, laughs, cowboy duels, dinosaurs, political conflict, mysterious supernatural phenomena, and so much more, all in the style of an old-timey radio dramedy, give us a try. Check us out at twomonstersrollingdice.com or by searching for Two Monsters Rolling Dice wherever you get your podcasts.